We're going to, this morning, I'm going to first of all give you a little talk outlining the practice of wisdom. Then we're going to do, do it for the rest of the day. And what we're going to do is listening, reflecting, and meditating. Yeah? So, you probably all know about the path of ethics, meditation, and wisdom. And you probably all know how to practice ethics. You know uh, how to practice the precepts and so on. And you all know how to practice meditation. You know about the mindfulness of breathing, you know about the metabhavana and many other practices. So the ethics and meditation part, uh, you're probably quite familiar with. But then there's wisdom, ethics, meditation and wisdom. So how do you practice wisdom? That's the question. So that's what we're going to be doing today. So we're going to be going through one, as it were, method of how to practice wisdom. Uh, but that isn't obviously the only way, but it, it's, it's one way. And, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just, uh, um, to set the scene, there's a little passage in The Rainbow Road, Bante's memoirs of his early life, where he talks about practicing listening, reflecting, and meditating. He doesn't actually mention it, but uh, that's what he's doing. Uh, so I'll see if I can... Um, yes. So this is back in the 1950s, and he's, he's uh, at the, in the phase where he's, as were, gone forth, but he's not yet a, a, a monk or anything like that. He's, he's quite young. He's probably, I don't know how old he is, probably 21, 22, something like that. So quite young and uh, very intense. <laughs> and he's staying in an ashram uh, somewhere, in an empty ashram. There's just him and his friend there. And so he says, while I was in Calcutta, I had immersed myself in the writings of D.T. Suzuki, particularly in his outlines of Mahayana, Mahayana Buddhism and essays in Zen Buddhism both of which had given me further tantalizing glimpses into the magical world of the Mahayana. Now, relying mainly on Bhikkhu Silakara's translation of the first 50 discourses of the Majjhima Nikaya, that's in the Pali Canon, uh, and on Mrs. Rhys David's Home University Library book on Buddhism, I started exploring colder and clearer regions of the spirit. Three of the Buddha's teachings in particular drew my attention. These were the doctrine of dependent origination, the four noble truths, and the three characteristics of conditioned existence. Previously, though they were well, all well known to me, I had given them very little systematic attention. Now they occupied my mind virtually to the exclusion of everything else. Besides reflecting on them during the day, I meditated on them at night. Or rather, as I meditated, flashes of insight into the transcendental truths of which they were the expression in conceptual terms would sometimes spontaneously arise. So what he's talking about there is the listening part is covered by his reading. So he's reading the Pali Canon, he's reading whatever is available really. He's reading about Zen Buddhism. There weren't so many books on Buddhism available. So, and he's reading <coughs> Mrs. David's 
home university library book on Buddhism. So he's reading whatever he can get. Uh, and then he's reflecting on it. He used to reflect by walking up and down. That's how he used to reflect, walking up and down and reflecting. And then he's meditating on it. And that, in a sense, is what we're going to do today. We're going to, to listen, we're going to reflect, and we're going to meditate. So this morning, after I've finished talking, we'll be doing some listening. I'll tell you more about that when we get to it. This afternoon, we'll be doing some reflecting. I'll lead you through that. And this evening, we'll be, as it were, meditating or bringing into our meditation uh, the fruits of our reflection. Yeah? So that's how we're going to, to do it. Can everybody hear me clearly, by the way? Yeah? Okay. And uh, listening, reflecting, and meditating, is, uh, it's there in early Buddhism, and it's there in later Buddhism. There's a little quote here from uh, the Bardo Tadol, the Tibetan Book of Life, uh, Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, is that what it's called? No. The Tibetan Book of the Dead. Tibetan Book of the Dead, that's what it's called. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, it's actually called something like the liberation through hearing in the intermediate state, isn't it? But yes, the Tibetan book of the dead, that's the one. And it says, Oh now, when the bardo of life upon me is dawning, abandoning idleness, there being no idleness in a devotee's life, entering into the reality undistractedly, listening, reflecting and meditating, carrying on to the path knowledge of the true nature of appearances and of mind, may the trikaya be realized. Once the human form has been attained, may there be no time or opportunity in which to idle it away. What that's basically saying is that the bardo of life is the time between birth and death. That's the, the, the gap they're talking about. Um, basically what it's saying is during that period, from birth to death, you should be listening, reflecting, and meditating. That's what you should be making use of your life to do. <coughs> so these um, listening, reflecting, and meditating, they can either be seen as a progression. You start with listening, you progress to, to reflecting, and then you progress to meditating. So a progression from lower to higher, uh, which is one kind of single practice. Or they could also be seen as, as three different, as it were, paths, three different ways for different kinds of people. Um, and the, the, so I'll go through each of them in turn. So the first one is listening. It's called Shrutamaya Pragna in, um, in Sanskrit. And basically what that's about is it's about hearing the Dharma, taking it in, uh, even learning it by heart. I mean, that's how they did it in, in uh, the early days, before it was written down. People just learned it by heart, which is why you've got so many lists and so on in Buddhism. So, hearing the Dharma, uh, and uh, it involves repetition, basically. Because in the oral tradition, you would have heard something over and over again. Uh, often you would have chanted it, you would have learned it by heart, as I said. So it became part of your consciousness. So we do that with some things. Some of you will probably have learned the Heart Sutra, maybe, or you may have learned the Tiratana Vandana, which we chant in the mornings. Uh, or, or you've learned the five precepts, whatever it is. You've got something that, that you've learned off by heart. And you learn it off by heart just by repeating it again and again and again. 
Uh, and in, in some Mahayana sutras, like the Sutra of Golden Light or, or whatever, they, in the sutra itself, it talks about the, the merit of just hearing the sutra, of repeating it, hearing it, listening to it, and so on. Uh, in fact, the, the, with some sutras, the practice that they're aiming at is the practice of listening to the sutra. So you might be reading this sutra and thinking, well, what, what's, the, what's the essence of it? What's it getting at? But actually, what it's getting at is what you're actually doing. It's the, it's the hearing, the, the listening to the sutra. Uh, Ratnaguna points this out in his book, um, Great Faith, Great Wisdom, about the Pure Land Sutras, that the, the, what the Pure Land Sutras are about is that they're about listening to the sutras. The practice is listening to the sutras. They have an effect on your consciousness as well, just by listening to them over and over again. Of course, we've got, uh, we've got a more literary tradition rather than a, an oral tradition. So the listening or hearing is now, for most of us, it's reading. It might be listening as you're listening to me now, but it's mainly um, reading books and so on. Uh, and often when we read books, we may not go back to them again. We, we've read it, so we think, well, I've read that. So I'll read the next book. But actually the point is to go back and read it again, and again, and again. Uh, because you always get more from something. Especially if you do it over a long period of time, over five years, ten years, twenty, thirty years, you come back to a book and you find that it's, you've changed and the book has changed. Yeah? You don't step into the same river twice, so to speak. So yes, yeah, so the thing is not to assume that once you've read something or, or heard it, that that's it. You, you, you need to keep going back to it. Um, in, in, there's one sutta in the Pali Canon where the, the Buddha is talking about the characteristics of a stream entrance. So the characteristic of somebody who's had an insight into the nature of reality. And uh, two of the characteristics, he mentions I think it's about seven, but two of them are an eagerness to hear the Dharma and being inspired by what they hear. And uh, if you read the Pali Canon, you find that what they hear often is the same thing again and again. It's, a lot of the suttas will have the same teachings, maybe slightly different way, but it's the same thing. So after the listening and the hearing, and, it, and it's really good if you do have things that you've learned off by heart, because then the you can come back to them again and again without having to pick up another book or whatever. You can just, um, as it were, revisit them in your own mind. Then comes the reflecting, chintamaya prajna. Um, so after, after a teaching or a piece of dharma becomes familiar to you, uh, you start to turn it over in your mind. Yeah? Uh, or you, and not just turn it over in your mind, you start to try it out in your life or try and see what is the relevance of it to your life. Uh, you maybe look at it from different angles or consider the implications of it and so on. So you might take a, a phrase like, all conditioned things are impermanent. And you could spend years reflecting on it. 
uh, you could ask yourself all sorts of questions about it. For instance, you could ask yourself, what does conditioned really mean? Uh, how does that apply to you? Uh, how does it apply to your body? How does it apply to your possessions, your reputation, your friends, uh, your family, and so on? So you, you can uh, approach the same thing from lots and lots of different angles and go into it more deeply and more detail or get a broader perspective on it. There's all sorts of ways. You can write about something. You can write about it. Uh, one, one way I sometimes approach things is I just ask lots of questions. I ask what, why, where, when, how, who, you know, as many questions as possible. Just ask all the questions. And uh, it's, a, it's a good tip if you ever want to write a talk and you have no idea how to go about it. Just ask yourself what, why, where, when, how, who. And you, you'll have a, you know, a 50 minute talk in no time. <laughs> <coughs> And uh, yes, you come back to something again and again over the years. And, and as I said earlier, it, as you come back to something, you, your reflections change. So reflection is about becoming thoroughly immersed in, in what you've heard. Yeah? So you've heard something, now you want to become really immersed in it. You go beneath the, the surface. Uh, in a way, you go beyond the words. You know, words are, uh, in a way, too limited to really express the Dharma. So they're, they're always just pointing. They're pointing to something deeper, pointing to something higher. So your reflection, although you might look at the words, you might look at the etymology of the words, or, the, or you might deconstruct the sentences or whatever, that's not the end of it. I mean, there, that does play a part in, in uh, reflection. There's, there's one of the skillful means of the bodhisattva, one of the pratisamvids, for those of you know, which is about the bodhisattva looking at the meaning of words. Yeah? Uh, but, but we have such sophisticated minds that we can sometimes use our reflections as a way of resisting going deeper into something rather than going deeper. So we can get caught up with the with the expression rather than going for the meaning. Yeah? So reflection is about going deeply into the, into the sense or the meaning of what's being communicated and, and, and making it your own. And, and I'll talk more about reflection this afternoon as well. And then we come to meditating, bhavanamaya prajna. Uh, and in this context, bhavana is a way of taking your reflections deeper. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going beyond thinking in a way, going beyond applying the, the rational and, and conceptual mind to a topic. Uh, so at this stage you get concentrated and then you just drop in <coughs> a teaching. Uh, usually good if it's something short and quite pithy. Uh, you just drop it into your concentrated mind. Uh, the image usually given is like dropping a pebble into a, a deep well. Yeah? And you just wait for the response, wait for the ripples, which, uh, which might happen immediately, or they might not happen for a long time. Maybe <coughs> they'll happen later when you're not meditating, something will click, as it were. 
in a, in a way, the metabhavana is a kind of reflection in this sense. You, you, you're dropping <coughs> in a person, as it were, and waiting for the, the, the response, uh, hopefully one of kindness. Yeah. Now, as I said, it, you could think of each of these, listening, reflecting, meditating, as, as, a, as a path in itself. Uh, for a particular type of person. So, there are different ways uh, Buddhism talks about types of people. So, for instance, you get a greed type, a hate type, and a deluded type. Or you get a faith follower, <coughs> uh, um, a doctrine follower, and what's called a body witness. Uh, and the, the stage of, of listening is very much the practice of the faith follower. Uh, a faith follower may not naturally reflect or may not need, feel the need to reflect. It's almost like the, 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 they're bypassing the intellect. You know, and it's just pure faith, a, 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 response, a, a, a strong, as it were, emotional response to what they hear. Um, and so for a faith follower, they're much more likely to take in what they hear and just act on it. You know, act, do it, yeah, rather than ha uh, trying to conceptualize or, or whatever. <coughs> That's, that would be quite extreme. But a faith follower, of course, then needs a teacher. They need a teacher to guide them. Uh, uh, and then out of faith, as it were, they just do what they're told, yeah, and they make progress by doing that. The Dharma follower is, is uh, sometimes called a wisdom type, is a more intellectual type of person. They want to know things, they want to question things, they conceptualize, they apply reason. Uh, so they follow that path of reflection very much more. And the body witness is the meditator or the mystic. Yeah? And they can get concentrated easily and in that concentrated state they then need to engage with the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, so they can have a direct experience of reality, which is unmediated by concepts. And then uh, in, with the greed type, hate type, and deluded type, well, you could say that the deluded type finds it difficult to decide to commit to anything or to stay focused. Uh, so they need to follow the path of, of listening and follow guidance from a teacher quite closely. And then the hate type has a kind of, you could say, has a kind of destructive streak in them. And that destructive streak needs to be directed against ignorance. Yeah? Uh, so the destruction of ignorance in themselves. Yeah? And, then, and they do that by reflecting deeply and not being content with any uh, superficial understanding. And then the greed type is, is attracted by the bliss that can be found in meditation. And they can use that to make themselves or take themselves into, into deep <coughs> concentration. Of course, uh, it, it, they, they need to have ethical purity and a clear conscience and so on. Freedom from gross hindrances to be able to do that. Now, all of these types are just about biases, as it were, or a particular emphasis in someone's life. Uh, 
And what we need to do is to work, uh, in a way we work to our strengths. But really, whatever our bias or whatever our strength, we can't afford to neglect any of the stages of listening, reflecting and meditating. So most of us, most of us are probably a mixture of, of uh, uh, all the character types, as it were. And so it's best for most of us to think of going through all of these uh, <coughs> stages of listening, reflecting, and meditating. So we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't leave the listening stage behind and then go on to reflecting and then leave the reflecting behind and go on to meditating. It's not like that. It's all one complete practice. So uh, it's a bit like you could think of it as a compound word. In, in German, they often have compound words. So it's a bit like having a... So listening, reflecting, meditating. It's all one word, yeah? It's, uh, it's all one practice. Uh, you could maybe put hyphens in it. That would help us. So you think of it as one practice rather than as you know, stages or steps. I think that's a much more uh, useful way of, of, of thinking of it. And, and we need to go through it all, uh, often, yeah. I guess in order to engage with any practice, you have to have interest, yeah. You have to be interested. Um, you, you won't really uh, read or listen to the Dharma if you're not interested. Uh, part of anything else, some of it is quite dense and difficult to get into. Uh, so you have to be interest, interested. Um, and it's, a, it's important to know what interests you, and, and uh, particularly to notice the, how that changes over time. Because the things that interest us don't remain the same. We, we, we find new interests or, or thing, uh, different things become interesting to us as we as we develop and as we change but if we do have enough interest and we and we engage and we listen and we read and so on uh, then the next step after that is reflection so there are lots of ways to reflect uh, Ratnaguna has written a whole book on reflection I think probably many of you may be familiar with that book on reflection uh, I know if you, uh, if and when you do Mitra study, as far as I remember, that book is part of Mitra, Mitra study course these days. And and Padma Vajra has given a very good talk on listening, reflecting, and meditating, which is a, um, in a little booklet that you can get from Padmaloka. Um, I'm going to come back to to some of the ideas from Ratnaguna and Padma Vajra later, but. Uh, First, I just want to share uh, a method that I found useful myself. So, so I happen to like writing, so I use writing as a way of reflecting. Uh, when I write things down, uh, I can come back to them. I can, see, uh, I can see a train of thought, as it were, developing when I write things down. So I find writing uh, very useful. Um, so, so one method is to take a topic or perhaps a short verse or something like that and just ask a series of questions about it uh, to, help you to, to help yourself to go deeper. This is something of what we're going to be doing this afternoon. 
So, so one set of questions that you might find useful is, firstly, you ask yourself, what is being said? Yeah? In other words, you, 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 you try to get a clear comprehension of what's being said. Maybe put it in your own words, whatever. What is being said? Uh, this is important because often, we, we, if we don't go through that stage, we, we have an opinion or a view about something before we've actually understood it. Yeah? Uh, that's quite common. Uh, it's, it's, well, it's very common in the world around us, actually, for people to have quite strong opinions about things without actually necessarily having, having heard and understood what, what they're talking about. So the second question is, what do I think about it? Do I agree with it or disagree with it? So this, this is about kind of opinion. It's about your kind of rational response to it. And the third question is, what is my emotional response? Uh, so that could be something like comfortable or uncomfortable or maybe nothing, maybe no emotional response. Uh, or maybe you don't, just don't like something or you... Uh, or you love it, or whatever. So, what is my emotional response? And, and, and perhaps a, a good question to go with that is, why? Why is that my emotional response? So, the, I've split up there, uh, what do I think about it, and what is my emotional response? Because sometimes we can think, that's great, but actually our emotional response might be, oh no. <laughs> it might be too too challenging or something like that, uh, or it, it, you know there could be variations on on all of that. In fact, reflecting always has to involve both the as it were the intellect and the emotions. So to reflect, you have to involve both. Uh, and in a way, I've just split them up just for us to get a sense of the fact that we actually do involve both. Yeah? The fourth question is, does it have any relevance to my life now? So whatever you're reflecting on, does it have any relevance to my life now? And the fifth question, not quite a question, which uh, I found useful at times, if, especially if I get stuck with something, is consider the opposite. And sometimes it's quite hard to think what the opposite of something is. Yeah. But basically, considering the opposite just gets you to think in a, in a, in a more fresh way, uh, which may open up new ways of thinking about something. And I think an important thing when asking yourself, uh, asking questions of yourself, uh, uh, is, is not to settle for superficial answers. Uh, so every answer can give rise to another question. In a way, it's good to be a bit like a child. You know, uh, small children are like that. They'll ask you a question, you give an answer, and immediately you get another question. Yeah? You give an answer, you'll immediately get another question. Uh, and that uh, is a really good way of learning and reflecting. Yeah? Uh, it might be annoying at the time in terms of small child <laughs> but actually that's what you want to do you want part of you needs to be like a small child uh, and ask yourself a question and don't settle for the answer don't settle for the first answer ask yourself another question 
and keep going. Uh, and that way you can take yourself deeper into a topic uh, by not settling for the answer, as it were. In a way, uh, the, the point is not to get to an answer. You're not really trying to get to an answer. Maybe the small child is not really trying to get to an answer either. Uh, the point is to go deeper or go further, as it were. It's, it's like you're trying to open up horizons, and that's probably what the small child is trying to do, is trying to open up its horizons, yeah? So in, in, uh, in Ratnaguna's book, The Art of Reflection, uh, Ratnaguna talks about other ways of reflecting on a topic. So, for instance, he mentions talking to yourself, which I think is similar to, to a writing exercise that, uh, like I've just been outlining. Uh, it's basically having a kind of inner uh, question and answer dialogue, uh, with each question giving rise to... Uh, each answer giving rise to a new question. Uh, he also suggests the possibility of having an argument with yourself. Yeah? Uh, so taking both sides, as it were, of an argument and, as it were, arguing it out. Yeah? Um, he gives an example, for instance, of an ethical dilemma. He, he says, so you have a friend in another country, yeah? And so does the value of friendship mean that you take flights to visit them, or do ecological concerns mean that you don't visit them? So, I mean, you could think of your own ethical dilemmas, but he's just positing the idea of an ethical dilemma and arguing it out with yourself. Uh, in a way, sometimes those, those questions don't have an easy answer. They might not even have a... Um, also, an answer that is the right answer, as it were. And the answer that you come up with might be right at one time and not right at another time. But it's a good way of going deeper. Then, as well as inner dialogue, he mentions other things like reflective writing, uh, which we talked about, reflection while walking, so walking up and down, a bit like what, what um, Bante was talking about. I use this, that myself quite a lot when I'm on solitary retreat. I love just walking up and down. Somehow it seems to, when you get into a rhythm of walking, it seems to free up your mind to reflect. Uh, somehow when your body is taken care of, as well, it frees up your mind to reflect. Yeah? And then there's another one which is reflecting with another person. Anyway, I'm going to, I'll leave you to read uh, Ratnaguna's book. Uh, or, or even better, to read it and reread it and reread it and then and reflect on. It. Um, another point that Ratnaguna makes is the importance about giving time and space to reflection. He talks about having periods of doing nothing. So I imagine most of you may have heard of this as sort of having a, as it were, a doing nothing practice in your life, where you literally are doing nothing. Yeah, you're not trying to meditate. You're not trying to you're just doing nothing, yeah. And, and in a way, it's a kind of reflection, but it's a kind of reflection where you're not concerned with a particular topic. Uh, you're just allowing something to come to the surface, just like, like a fish coming to the surface of the water, yeah. Um, in a way, what you're doing with that kind of reflection, really, is you're getting to know yourself. You're getting to know yourself. Uh, and by noticing where your mind goes when you're doing nothing, uh, you get to see 
what you're really interested in as well. Yeah. You, you get to see, uh, in a way, you get to see the consequences of whatever you've put into your mind. Yeah. So if you if your mind is is been nourished with wholesome stuff, as it were, uh, you'll you'll have a a different experience from if your mind has been nourished on trashy movies or something. Yeah. And you, you, either way, you'll be uncovering or discovering something about yourself. In, uh, in Padma's, uh, Padmavajra's talk, uh, Listening, Reflecting and Meditating, he, uh, he talks about six different ways of reflecting. Uh, some of them have nice poetic titles. So he, he explores how to reflect under these headings. One, circling like a pigeon. Two, dropping pebbles into a pool. Three, significant landscape. Four, how to live, what to do. Five, cutting like a sword. And six, the ever-flowing river of contemplation. All of these by, are in this booklet and, and possibly on Free Buddhist Audio, I don't know. I'm just going to say a few words about each one, so, but if you're interested, follow up and, and get the little booklet from Padmaloka. So circling like a pigeon means bringing to mind all the associations you have uh, with a particular topic. Uh, I often use this when I'm preparing a talk. I, I just put, uh, I use a mind map. I just put the title of the talk in the centre and then I have you know, things going out of it and all the associations that, that come to mind. Um, and it's a starting point for reflections, circling like a pigeon. Uh, the second way he talks about dropping pebbles in a pool, or well, that's about reflecting when you're uh, concentrated in meditation, or, or after a puja. After a puja is quite a nice time because you're really nicely concentrated. You just drop into your mind a, a word or phrase, or just repeat the word or phrase, letting it sink deeper into your concentrated mind. Uh, the third way, significant landscape, that's to do with being aware of the world around us yeah, and using it as a source of reflections. So a classic example is the way the autumn leaves or the spring flowers uh, speak to us of change and impermanence as well. It's, it's noticing things in the, in the world around us and, and uh, allowing them to become part of our mm -hmm. reflection. Yeah? The fourth kind of reflection is called how to live, what to do. It's basically about relating our reflections to our own experience, yeah? uh, relating them to our own life. Uh, this guards against the Dharma becoming some kind of abstraction uh, or, or a, a hobby that you add on to the rest of your life. So it involves asking yourself questions again, as I mentioned earlier. Then the fifth way of reflecting cutting like a sword. Now that, that's uh, about reflection that analyzes and searches into the heart of a subject, cutting away whatever is not essential. Um, it's the sort of reflection you might use when you're going deeper into topics like impermanence or the nature of, of self or uh, things like that. You investigate 
the experience really thoroughly of impermanence in your own life and mind. So it's, um, it's a bit like, it's, it's not so much thinking about, but it's actually reflecting while experiencing, as it were. So you're experiencing as you're reflecting, or you're reflecting as you're experiencing. In fact, I'm just reading at the moment, I happen to be reading this morning, I'm reading Vajragupta's new book called Free Time. I don't know if you've seen it. It's very good. It's a, it's, it's a, a kind of Buddhist view on time. But in the back of it, he's got um, uh, several ways of reflecting, guided reflections. And uh, some of them are about reflecting while experiencing, which is very much like this uh, cutting like a sword. So, so yes, I, I won't say any more about that. Then the final reflection that Padmavajra talks about is, is he talks about developing the ever-flowing river of contemplation. So in a way, what that's about is he's encouraging us to develop a reflection practice, uh, beginning perhaps with short periods, even just five minutes a day or something like that, and then uh, taking it further. Uh, and if you, if you keep that up, eventually uh, reflecting becomes quite natural. Uh, it, in a way, it kind of develops a life of its own. It just becomes something that you do quite naturally, no longer something that you have to practice, but you just do it anyway. And that would be the, the flowing river of contemplation. So I've spoken for longer than I intended, uh, but anyway, um, that's something about reflecting, just to kind of whet your appetite. Uh, what we're going to do with the rest of the morning, I'll probably give you a break in a minute or so because you've taken in quite a lot, is I'm going to uh, get you to sit in, in meditation posture and uh, get you a bit concentrated. And then I'm going to read to you seven uh, short kind of verses. Uh, I'm not going to give them to you, I'm just going to read them to you. Uh, and two of them are from the Bodhicharya Avatara, which is the, um, what the uh, Sevenfold Puja is based on. Um, two of them are from Bhante, and three of them are from the Dhammapada. And I'm just going to read them to you, and I'm going to read them to you several times while we're in a, in a meditative uh, kind of state. So all you have to do in this first part is listen. You're just hearing. You don't have to do anything else. You're just hearing it. And uh, we'll see how that goes. And then this afternoon we're going to be reflecting. But I won't say anything more about the reflecting until we get to it this afternoon. Yeah. Uh,